You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different today. I don't have somebody sitting across the table or on the other line of a phone call. It's just me in the studio. I'm in the middle of a pretty wild transitional season in the life of my family. We actually just announced this on social media that uh, I've accepted a worship pastor position up in Richmond, Virginia at a great church called Destination Church. And I cannot wait to get up there in August with the family and uh, excited for what God is going to do. The church that we started here in Nashville uh, was able to transition very successfully. And we've got a great new lead pastor, Adonis Lindsay. Uh, God is doing amazing things at Bridges Nashville here in Music City. And I know the best is yet to come in both scenarios. And so uh, I'm sitting in my studio, which is now cleared out. It's empty. My family, uh, the kids and my wife, Sarah, are swimming with some friends. And so I've got an empty studio and just wanted to share something that has been on my heart uh, for quite some time now. You know, when it comes to leadership, there's so many things coming at us. There's a lot of different podcasts, a lot of different books, a lot of seminars. And uh, I think oftentimes with the plethora of information at our fingertips, we forget uh, the most powerful source of information that we've ever been given in the body of Christ. And I think that's a combination of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the written Word, the Bible. And one of the best verses, I think, in the entire Bible when it comes to leadership uh, happens in the book of Psalms. And, uh, you know, Psalms wasn't just written by David. David wrote, wrote a lot of the Psalms, but uh, many different people contributed to the Psalms. You got Ethan and Asaph and the sons of Korah and so on and so forth. Even Moses uh, wrote one of the Psalms. Uh, But in Psalm 78, verse 72, it's one of the best leadership verses, I think, in the Bible. And here's what it says. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Now, David goes down as probably the greatest king in the Old Testament. I mean, under David's leadership, Israel thrived and the kingdom was really established. And then, of course, David is kind of like that golden standard of what it means to be a great king. In fact, uh, all the kings that followed him, it would either say that they followed in the ways of David or they followed in you know the ways of sin. And so David is kind of this guy that we look to not only with leadership, but also in the worship context. If there ever was a worship leader in the Old Testament, we've got David, you know, he played the, the Fender Harpicaster, as I like to to joke around with. And David uh, was a worshiper in the fields when no one was watching. And I think that really uh, lended to his heart for when he was in the palace and the entire nation's eyes were on King David. But this verse is so powerful when it comes to leadership. And for the worship leaders and worship team members uh, that are listening today, I would say these two things need to guide your life uh, when it comes to a life of worship. Integrity, That's character, that's uh, doing the right thing at the right time, that's going after the things of God. Integrity and and skillful hands, and that's that's where excellence comes in. And so today we're really gonna just dive into these two areas, integrity 
and excellence. What does it look like to shepherd people with integrity of heart and skillful hands? And that first thing, integrity is so key. I think in today, uh, the culture, uh, we see such a lack of integrity, right? I mean, it seems like almost every single week, uh, there's headlines coming out about uh, people with a lack of integrity. You know, I, I remember uh, seeing all of those sports stories come out with uh, baseball players that were taking performance enhancing drugs. And some of my favorite players growing up, you know, they had to have a lot of their records erased because uh, they were built off of a lack of integrity. And uh, it came out, you know, Jesus said in Luke chapter eight, verse 17, that uh, nothing's done in the hidden that won't be brought out and made known to all. And I think that's a call to integrity. It's a call to authenticity. And, uh, you know, lately there's been a lot of uh, headlines and, and different stories coming about, about, out about church leaders and um, kind of, you know, there's this term fall from grace and, and that's a whole different podcast for a whole different time. But I think if we would uh, live with integrity and character, I don't think we'd see as many of those stories coming out. And so what is character? You know, uh, oftentimes when I was growing up, I'd be writing stories and they would ask these five famous questions, right? They'd ask what, where, when, why, and how. And I'm even going to add a, a sixth question to that, who? Okay, so in the lens of character, uh, I don't know if you have a notebook or maybe listen to this podcast several times because I'm just going to go at it uh, like a fire hose. Character, you know, the what? What are you chasing in your life? What are you chasing in your life? Are you going after notoriety? Are you going after significance? Even when it comes to leading worship, like what are you chasing? Are you, are you going after uh, songwriting so that you can have a top 100 CC, CCLI hit? You know, and to be honest, full transparency here, I actually uh, had to put my own life under the microscope years back uh, when I was leading uh, the worship team at National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And I know recently we had Chris Douglas on the podcast who is doing a phenomenal job uh, leading that team and that church in worship right now. Uh, but before Chris, I was there for about seven years. And uh, during that period of time, we signed uh, with Integrity Music. And so we were putting out uh, different albums. And I just remember uh, you know, my songwriting really went down the wrong road because I was just chasing the hit. I was trying to write a song that would reach the masses. And I was at a conference in Atlanta and uh, one of the speakers on the main stage just took a moment in the middle of this room, 13,000 people. And he took a prayer moment and said, what do you need to talk to God to about right now? And I just prayed, God, please give me a hit song for this album. Please just give me a download from heaven. And I felt that still small whisper of the Holy Spirit. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, would you write a song if I was the only one to hear it? And it just cut me to the core. Because I knew in that moment, if I was honest with God and if I was honest with myself, the answer was no. I was writing worship songs just to try to get a top 100 hit, just to try to get something on the radio. And God wasn't going to bless that because I was chasing the wrong thing. So the what in character today is going to be, what are you chasing that you need to say no to? What is, what is it that you need to chop out of your life? What is that, that wrong motivation? Uh, the second question is where? Where do you find yourself late at night? <laughs> Where do you find yourself early in the morning? Where do you find yourself throughout the day? 
And this is so key when it comes to character. You know, where do you find yourself late at night? Is it in front of Netflix? Is it, is it in front of your computer screen? Are you going to websites that you know are going to steer you down the wrong path? Are you watching shows that are putting in images that are hard to erase? You know, where do you find yourself late at night? Where do you find yourself early in the morning? You know, are you going straight to your, your smartphone and picking it up and scrolling through social media? Or is the first place that you find yourself in the morning in your prayer closet? I think it's so important how we start our days. You know, the Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus would go early in the morning and withdraw to the solitary places to be with his heavenly Father. And I think he was poured into before he could pour out. And I think that's so important for us to live lives of character. Where do we find ourselves early in the morning? And something that I challenge myself is I get my cup of coffee and it takes me about 20 to 30 minutes to finish that cup of coffee. And so that's my prayer time. I'll go out on our back deck or I'll go on a prayer walk or I'll just spend some quiet time with the Lord before I get into the busyness and the chaos of the day. So where do you find yourself early in the morning? And then where do you find yourself throughout the day? Are you hanging uh, with the wrong crowds? Are you, are you getting into places that aren't adding value to your life? Where do you find yourself? You know, 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's the story of David and he, you know, he, he's chilling on a rooftop at a time where he probably should have been out with his army. Here's what it says. It says, in the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And here's what this verse tells me. At the time when David should have been with all of his homeboys out on the battlefield, he stayed back and he's on a rooftop and this is when he sees Bathsheba. And of course, he enters into the most notorious sin of his life, uh, adultery that leads to murder, that leads to a lot of pain and a lot of cover-up. And it was where he found himself. He should have found himself with his army, and yet he stayed back at a time when he should have been elsewhere. So where do you find yourself? Okay, so we've got the what, we've got where, and then the when. When do you spend time with the Lord? When do you get into the word? When do you worship? You know, holiness, man, holiness isn't something that a lot of us are talking about. You know, we're more on the topic of accepting all things, uh, super inclusion. And and yes, the gospel is non-exclusive, right? But when it comes to holiness, man, we've got to have that conversation, especially in the terms of leadership, especially in the terms of worship. You know, there were offerings that were not acceptable in the Old Testament. And I think what that tells us is that, you know, holiness is important. The word holy means set apart. And so by its very definition, it's not an accepting of all things. You know, I think uh, the greatest leaders, especially the people that have poured into my life, I just look at their life and I'm like marked by holiness. Like, wow, uh, the way that they live their lives, the way that they uh, lead their their family, and the way that they interact with with people, you can just tell that there's something different about them. And that very idea is holiness. They just value holiness. The pastors that I've gotten the chance to serve alongside, uh, and the people that have a voice in my life, I just I want to know what are you doing to live a life that's set apart. So I'd ask you, when are you spending time with God? Uh, when are you getting into the Word? Even if it's just a chapter a day, get into the Bible every single day. When when are you worshiping? If the only time you worship is when you have a microphone in front of you, 
man, I don't know if that's going to be a full life of worship. So go after holiness. I think we need to do a lot more uh, about talking about holiness with our teams uh, in our churches. And, uh, you know, it may not be the most popular thing to talk about, but man, God blesses holiness. God blesses those who go after him. You know, it says in Jeremiah that uh, those who diligently seek the Lord will find him. And so that takes holiness. It takes setting apart that time. It takes setting apart your life. So that's the when. And then, of course, the why. And I'd ask you a simple question. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you leading worship? Why are you playing on a worship team? Why are you singing on a worship team? Is it to be seen? Is it to uh, get your musical fix? You know, I mean, all of us have met uh, and, you know, I admit this at, at one point, you know, it's like, I feel like I, I, for a long time I was going after, uh, you know, trying to be a famous rock star and, and my, my life is, you know, part of my testimony. And I write about this in my book, Soundcheck is, you know, I went on American Idol back in 2005. I was trying to be famous and, and I was just chasing after the wrong things. And the, my why was simply to be famous. And of course, when it didn't work out for American Idol, when it didn't work out with the record deal, I was kind of left with this question, are you here to make your name famous or God's name famous? And uh, a small group leader asked me that about 10, 12 years ago, and that changed the course of my life because I realized my why was completely self-centered. And so when that why began to shift to the purposes of God and the calling of the Holy Spirit, meant everything began to make sense and, uh, and then I started to see fruit in my life and my family and my ministry. And so why are you doing what you're doing? And only you can answer that. And if, if those motivations are for anything that's self-driven, self-centered, then you've got to put that on the altar. And you've got to ask the Lord, help me to make my why all about you, all about reaching people for the kingdom of God. Okay, so we've got the what. What are you chasing? We've got the where. Where do you find yourself? We've got the when. When are you spending time with God? When are you getting in the word? When are you worshiping? We've got the why. Why are you doing what you're doing? And then the how. So how are you living? What are your values? How do you do what you do? How do you lead a team? How do you prepare? How do you, uh, you know, pray? How do you uh, lead worship? What are the values that you go by? And I would highly encourage you, if you're a worship leader and you're leading a team or you're a music director, I would encourage you to get some sort of a core value system for your team. You know, when I was uh, both lead pastoring in this recent season and when I was uh, leading the team at National Community, and even as I'm in this season of transition and I'm about to be the worship pastor at a new church, I have values that I've always operated by in my leadership. And it simply spells out the word sauce. And I'm a huge barbecue guy. In fact, last night I got barbecue with a good friend of mine, Ian Zumbach, here in town. And uh, sauce spe- stands for service, authenticity, unity, creativity, and excellence. And we're actually going to dive into excellence here in just a moment. But those are the values that we live with. And so if, if we're doing something as a team, if, if doing this album or this uh, event or you know doing this project doesn't match up with our values, then we have to take it off the list. So the how is so important. And, and, and developing your, the integrity and the character of your life it's all about values. You know, our family, we have values. It's love God, love each other, have fun, be generous, 
and be grateful. And we actually have those family values written on a, a poster board that hangs up in our living room. And our kids know it by heart. We, we actually sat down at the dinner table for about a year and every night we would recite those family values just so that it would get ingrained in the way that our kids think and the way that we think as parents, as Sarah and I in our marriage, uh, we have to have core values that we live by and they're all rooted in the Bible. They're all rooted in the person of Jesus. And so establish some core values. Okay, so we got what, where, when, why, and how, and then I would add a sixth thing to this thing when it comes to developing integrity in your life. Uh, the sixth thing is who. Who are you surrounded with? Who are the voices that are speaking into your life? Who are you giving uh, permission to lead your thought patterns and to lead uh, the way that you operate? You know, I think so many of us are unknowingly giving people in culture and TV and, and even, you know, if you're scrolling through TikTok and Instagram, every voice in your life has a place in the way that you operate. Okay, so uh, the loudest voice in your life, without a doubt, needs to be the Holy Spirit. And funny enough, to allow the Holy Spirit to be the loudest voice in your life, oftentimes you've got to get into a quiet place. And, and so who is speaking into your life that maybe you know about and you need to cut that voice out? Or maybe who are the voices in your life that are unknowingly taking up a lot of space in your head, in your heart? Uh, you're giving them free rent. Uh, maybe it's voices of negativity, voices of anxiety, voices of uh, things that go against uh, what the kingdom is all about. Uh, you know, I would say this, Proverbs chapter 11 and chapter 15, they both talk about how wisdom is found in the counsel of many advisors. And you need advisors, you need great voices, uh, pastors and friends and family that you trust, that have your best interest at heart, that know that you're pursuing Jesus and, and give them opportunity to speak into your life. You know, I have, I have many different pastors that will constantly check in on me, especially in this season of transition. Uh, you know, just voices that have permission in my life. Hey, call me out if you see anything that's on my social media or anything uh, just in conversations with me that you're like, hey, Curtis, ah, man, you need to watch this blind spot in your life. They have permission to call it out. And if you don't give anybody permission to call out the blind spots in your life, then you're, you're putting yourself into a silo that's not gonna yield a life of integrity, a life of character, okay? So these last few minutes we've been talking about character I'm going to go back to that, that Psalm uh, 78, 72. It says, and David, David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. So that second half is the skillful hands. You know, if David was all about integrity, but he didn't have any skill, if he didn't do things with excellence, I don't think he would have been noticed. In fact, we know that uh, Saul heard about David's excellence on the harp, and that's why he called him uh, to play for him when the evil spirit was, was tormenting him. And it was David's uh, excellence on the harp that got him into that place. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 3, David writes, Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. I love these three things here. Sing a new song. That's for the songwriters in the room. Uh, play skillfully. That's for those who care about excellence. And then shout for joy. Man, we need a sound of joy in the church today. But I'm going to hone in on this excellence thing. Now, listen, excellence is not perfection, excellence is just your very best. 
And so you have to define excellence in your context. You know uh, what is not excellence for you and you know what is excellence. You know, for me, I'm primarily a piano player. I've been playing piano since I was 11 years old. Funny story, my dad, uh, when he knew that he was gonna be starting a church, uh, he must've heard me singing songs around the house, some Disney songs or whatever. And so he's, he's like, man, maybe I've got a future worship leader, a future musician on my hands. And so when I was 11 years old, he got me in piano lessons. And now as an 11 year old playing piano and practicing, you know, Beethoven and, and, and all of the scales and, and everything, that was the last thing on my mind. I wanted to be outside uh, playing basketball, playing street hockey, uh, hanging out with my friends. But my dad told me, listen, if you practice for an hour a day, I will pay you $10 a week. Okay, so this is in the 90s. The dollar stretched a lot farther back then. And I'm thinking, man, how many packs of baseball cards can I buy? You know, how many snacks can I get? So I'm like, yes, let's, let's do it. And so I just fell in love with practice. I fell in love with playing the piano. And I, I fell in love, if I'm honest with myself, with, with excellence. I wanted to be good at my craft. And so when you look at Psalm 33, verse three, play skillfully, the Hebrew, the original uh, word for this skillful thing is to make beautiful. And that adds a whole different layer when you're thinking about uh, leading worship and musicianship and writing songs and, and leading your church in song and leading them in worship, man, to make it beautiful unto God. We don't wanna bring God uh, a Cain offering. You remember the story with Cain and Abel. Abel brought uh, what the Lord required. He brought a sacrifice, his first and his best, that, that lamb, and God blessed Abel. But then you had Cain who just brought the weeds from his garden. He was like, you know, God, I'll, I'll bring an offering, but it ain't gonna cost me anything. And of course, we know what happened with Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain gets jealous because he sees Abel with the favor of the Lord and kills him and becomes a marked man, right? And so we don't wanna bring something to the Lord. He, he, God is so worthy of our best. And not in a striving and stressful way, but just what 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 costs you? You know, sacrifice uh, is something that costs us. You know, we love this word passion. What's your passion? What are you passionate about? And one of the definitions of of passion and, and being passionate about something is it's going to cost you something. What are you willing to sacrifice for? And so I think when when it comes to our our, our musicianship and and, and worship. Man, it has to cost us something. So excellence, remember, it's not perfection. It's your very best. Play skillfully. Make it beautiful unto God. And I actually have a video on YouTube. I'm going to link it in the show notes here for you. Uh, it's just five steps to excellence. So for any team, wherever you're at, uh, you can watch this video. It's really quick. I think it's like nine or ten minutes. And um, I talk about these five steps to excellence. But I'm going to hit just a few of them here. Number one, uh, start where you are. Start with where you are. So this can be, listen, I have uh, been an acoustic worship leader in, in a church of 30 people. I've led worship in house churches where there was just like nine or 10 of us and in, in couches in the living room. And, and I, I still want that to be excellence just as much as I do uh, if I were to be called to, to lead a full band at a conference of 10,000 people. It doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is we're worshiping the Lord. He's the king of all creation. He deserves our best, whether it's, you know, you're, you're, you're getting asked to lead worship for a small group or for main service or at a conference, uh, you know, whatever, wherever you are, bring that heart of excellence. And you start with where you are. 
So maybe you're a worship leader in more of a rural context and you don't have a lot of musicians to pull from where you're living. And so it's just you on acoustic and somebody on piano. Okay, start there. Start with excellence. Make sure that uh, you guys are playing the same chords. You're on the same tempo. Practice the songs together. Make sure that, you know, where you're playing on the acoustic guitar, if you're capoed up, that it's not hitting the same register that the piano is because you're going to clash in that frequency range. Uh, you know, maybe on the piano, uh, make sure that, you know, you're, you're hitting these block chords that fill out the sound instead of a lot of arpeggios and, and trickling, you know, all over the keys um, that just kind of muddies up the sound. So start with where you are and, and you, you could be a, uh, in a full band setting. And so you've got drums, you've got bass, you've got guitar and you've got keys. Okay. So that, Hey, listen, the Beatles did it with four YouTube, YouTube did it with four uh, Coldplay is doing it with four. I mean, less is more if you think about it. I, I'm a huge fan of minimalism. And some of my favorite bands have been three pieces. You know, I'm thinking about like, I mean, I grew up uh, listening to a lot of like these punk bands and a lot of them like MXPX, three people. And, you know, I just think you can always lean into minimalism and still have a big sound. And especially now, uh, that so many churches are utilizing things like multi-tracks and Ableton and, uh, you know, kind of having those tracks where you play to a click and you play to a guide and you can have a bigger sound. Now, I will say this. There's something uh, that can lean into the inauthentic sphere when you've got three people on a stage leading worship, but then you're hearing all these tracks like orchestras and loops and 20 guitars when you're, there's only one on stage. So you got to be careful in overdoing it with that. And I go back to minimalism. You can be great with just a little bit. You got to start with where you are, build on a solid foundation. I would much rather uh, have a team where it's just maybe me on acoustic, a cajon player, you know, playing the box drum and somebody on bass and get everything really tight. We're all playing to a click track. We're all playing uh, in the same key. We're harmonizing with each other. If it's vocalists, I would rather build on that solid foundation with few than have a ton of people that are just okay at what they do, but it's just a ton of mishmashing and clashing and, and we're not playing together. So don't be afraid to start small, build on a framework of excellence, define that context for you. What does it mean to be excellent here? And, and this is where I would bring in the idea of auditions. Uh, you know, a lot of worship leaders, you know, ask me, should I just let anybody on the team or should we have auditions? Hey, you got to define that. What, what does excellence mean in your context? But for me, um, I would always push for auditions. Number one, it helps you as a leader see where people are coming in at. And this doesn't mean you only take, you know, the the incredible cream of the crop on every instrument. You know, it doesn't mean you only take, you know, the people that can play every single crazy lead line on electric guitar. You know, maybe maybe somebody's coming in and they're they're just playing, you know, rakes or they're just playing full chords, but they play the right chords, they have a great tone, and their heart is in the right place. Okay, man, that's somebody that can be utilized on this team. But auditions help you evaluate where people are at, where they're coming in. They help you also see if people are coachable. I've had so many auditions where people came in and you could tell that the makings were there to be great, but they just wouldn't listen to any advice I had or the people that were running auditions had. They're just like, no, I got to figure it out. And so that's not a very coachable spirit. And so that's going to be hard to work with, you know, especially three or four months into the team. Um, you want to make sure that they're coachable. You want to make sure that they bring their heart. 
And then you just want to make sure that there are people that are going to actually uh, be a part of this team, be a part of your church. You know, we actually had something, uh, it was like an audition form that people would fill out before they came in for the actual uh, musical or vocal audition. And it was something that just kind of told us a little bit about their why, their, their background, um, had they ever been on a worship team before, but it, it let us know, hey, how long have you been coming to this church? Because, you know, sometimes we'd have people, oh, this is my first week here. And it's like, well, what if you got onto the worship team and like three weeks in, you realize, hey, you know, theologically, I'm not really sure I jive with this church or, you know, hey, I really don't think the DNA is 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 meshing. Well, then now you've got uh, somebody who's been introduced to the team and they may not uh, have the heart of the church. And so I always want to make sure that there's somebody that maybe they're involved in a small group outside of just worship or, you know, maybe there's somebody that has a track record of faithfulness serving on another team or there's somebody that really just cares about the heart of Jesus. And you, you only get to know that through time and relationship, uh, but oftentimes with that audition process, you can have somewhat of an application or something that tells you a little bit about them and shows you where they're at when they come in. So start with where you are. Uh, the second thing I would say is evaluation. You cannot have excellence without evaluation. I write about this in, in my book, Soundcheck, and I'll put a link to the book uh, in the show notes. And if you haven't read the book, uh, or you're not able to get the book, I would love to send you a copy. Uh, you can find it anywhere that books are sold. But I talk a lot about excellence in my book, Soundcheck. In fact, the the subtitle of the book is How Worship Teams Can Pursue Authenticity, Excellence, and Purpose. And so one of the things I say about excellence in the book is that evaluation is so important. You've got to have a feedback loop. You've got to have uh, ways that you can actually evaluate where you are and then where you're going. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to utilize is just video, you know, right now, especially after uh, the pandemic season that we've all we're, we're kind of still coming through. Right. Um, everybody's doing the online thing. We've got, you know, uh, maybe you're on Facebook Live or YouTube or whatever it is. You can usually go back and kind of watch uh, that morning's worship service. And I would, I would utilize that, you know, just like a football team, not to go super practical and no spiritual, right. But, uh, if we're going to pursue excellence, which is what we're talking about right now, um, video is a powerful tool. You know, football teams will often watch tape and they'll see, man, we messed up that play or man, we should have gone left when, when we went right here. And I think when you're watching, uh, you know, oftentimes we'll share that uh, video link with our team and just say, Hey, you know, what's one thing we did great this morning. What's one thing we can work on as we move forward and listen to me, video doesn't lie. And so you can always have your team watch video. And as a, as a leader, you can watch video and kind of see, Oh man, you know, I thought I was opening my eyes a lot more than I actually am. Or, hey, you know, uh, Cindy on the team, she thought that she was smiling when she actually looks angry on the stage. And so you can just kind of highlight and, and, and challenge people, hey, just watch the video. And oftentimes uh, people, when they watch themselves, they'll be a lot more critical uh, on their own playing or their own, um, I guess, uh, stage presence. I hate using that phrase, but you know what I'm talking about. And so uh, sometimes you don't even have to say, hey, man, you, you hit this wrong chord. They're like, oh, man, I hit this wrong chord. And video just gives you the opportunity to have a little bit of an extra feedback loop. And then I would say have trusted ears 
and trusted eyes watching. Have trusted ears listening. Uh, you know, maybe uh, you've got a guitar player in the in the congregation that morning who's amazing, and you're you've got somebody who's in the audition process and they're playing, and maybe they can just give a little bit of leadership or coaching there. Uh, you know, maybe somebody whose eyes are tuned to seeing. Um, you know, just how, how bands play together and how people uh, mesh, you know, is there, is there chemistry happening? Are, are people tuning out of each other or are they playing together? Is there, I mean, Hey, this is fun. We get to lead worship. We get uh, to use our musical and, and uh, songwriting talents for the kingdom of God. So man, if you, if you, we have people on stage that just look like they're miserable, maybe they're having a blast, but they just don't know how to express that. So have trusted eyes watching uh, and then give attainable goals. You know, evaluation is great. But if you don't actually have a goal that you're getting towards, then it might not be as fruitful as you want. So maybe with a drummer, you know, they're, they got a good groove. They can kind of stay in the pocket, but they're not really great with tempo. You know, it goes from fast to slow to fast. And so maybe their goal is to play with a click. And, um, you know, it goes back to start with where you are. And so I remember we had a drummer about eight years ago and uh, he was not thrilled with the idea of introducing a click track. And I just said, man, I said, I said, Brian, dude, you are an awesome drummer. You've got a great feel. I don't think it's going to take you long to get to where you're playing on that click. And uh, we would we would practice with it. But then when it came time uh, for the service, you know, he was just a little nervous. And so we turned the click off. And but he, he would eventually over time get to where he was like a human metronome. And it was funny because he ended up uh, moving up north and uh, he texted me one day. He's like, you know, you ruined me on the click because now I cannot play without it. And uh, so you got to start with where you're at. Give attainable goals. Uh, so it could be a drummer playing with a click. It might be a guitarist learning and playing through the right gear, um, you know, fi figuring out what to play. If you only have one electric guitar on stage, you know, it's going to be trying to figure out what's the balance between playing rhythm parts and lead parts. Um, you know, just give that attainable goal. And with singers, uh, you know, hearing the harmonies, uh, finding the right tone, the right blend, making sure you're singing on pitch. And again, this is where I would go back to listening to the recording uh, and, and listening to the video and trying to see, okay, man, you know, I thought we were really nailing it, but whew, we need to work on, you know, the harmonies, especially if you have a front line of singers and uh, you want to make sure that you're blending together, that you're, you're singing together and it's not just everybody uh, running down their own path. So you got to have evaluation. The last thing I'll say, songs are key. You got to be having the right songs. Make sure you're choosing the right key that you're singing the songs in if you're a vocal leader. Uh, but man, choosing the right songs for, for, for you as a leader, you know, there's some songs that like I know uh, other leaders are going to lead better and, and lead stronger. And so they get those songs. There's some songs that, man, I'm really passionate about and it's kind of ingrained in my testimony. And so, and then it's the right key and the right feel. So choosing the right songs, singing the right lyrics for your church. Whew, this is a whole nother podcast episode, but you know, not every worship song released needs to be sung in your church. There, I said it. 
You know, you got to make sure that in the season that your church is in, maybe you're in a season uh, where you're just needing, uh, man, our people just need to be reminded that faith is everything. So you need to be singing songs about faith. God, expand our our faith. God, we, I, I love that song, Believe For It by C.C. Winans. You know, so we, we've been singing that in our church. And it's just like, man, we need to just declare this. We need to believe. We need to have faith. So singing the right songs in your church. And if you're really trying to go after excellence and you want to hit that minimalism thing, hey, fewer songs. You know, one of the things that we utilized both at Bridges Nashville and at National Community Church was a song bank. And what a song bank is, simply put, it's a bank of songs, 20 to 30 songs that we would, uh, our worship team would, would really just lean into over the course of two or three months. And so you may be thinking, oh, 20 to 30 songs, that really limits us. But if you think about it, uh, most churches, you know, you're, you're doing any, you're leading anywhere from four to six songs on a, a typical Sunday. And so, you know, even if you never did the same song twice, it would take you at least seven Sundays before you would even potentially do the same song again. And so fewer songs is not a bad thing. And I think especially if you're a church that teaches in series, um, you can find those songs that are going to um, align with that message of hope or faith or, or, or suffering or whatever it is um, that your, your, your sermon series are based off of. Uh, and the cool thing is if you, you so let's say you pick 25 to 30 songs to have as a song bank over the next three months, right? You can build a Spotify playlist or, or a YouTube playlist and send that out to everybody on the team and just say, hey, let these songs get in your spirit. And what, what will happen is that by week two or week three, a lot of times you're not even going to need charts on stage because those songs have just become a part of the DNA. And, and I mean, you know, you can play those songs by heart, by memory, um, but also your church will really latch on to the songs. You know, I think about uh, a group that's touring like Coldplay, right? They're playing the same uh, 20 to 30 songs every single night when they go out on tour for like a hundred dates in a row. And so you think it might get old for them, but the truth is they play those songs with the same conviction, whether they're in Paris or whether they're in Charlotte, North Carolina, because they know that every single night for somebody in the audience, it's the first time hearing it. And it's their like amazing aha moment with music. And so I think, man, if they can be playing with that passion and that conviction, dude, as worship teams and as worship leaders, uh, we need to be playing with way more conviction and passion and realize that, okay, we might be playing this song for the 30th or the third time, but man, for somebody in the congregation, God is going to use this song. God is going to use these lyrics to reach their heart. And you know what I love to say about music is that music cuts to the heart without ever asking for permission. And so just realizing that if you do go to a song bank, maybe it's less songs in that season, but you can still play them with passion and conviction, knowing that, man, these lyrics are birthed out of the Bible. They're birthed out of the, the person and the heart of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's infused in these, making sure that they're the right songs and the lyrics for your church. And um, man, I think your teams would latch on to a spirit of excellence by starting with those three things. So number one, start with where you are. Number two, have evaluation as a part of your rhythm. And number three, making sure you got the right songs. 
Okay, so we've talked about excellence and we've talked about integrity. And I pray that these uh, last few moments that we've shared together have really challenged you in your leadership, challenged you in your heart of worship. And if you're not on a worship team or you're not a worship leader and you're listening, hey, even in our everyday life, we need to be living with integrity and excellence. And so thanks for listening today. God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.